What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I have a special guest, Victoria Field, on the line. I actually met, I believe I met you through um, in person for the first time at KetoCon, but we had spoke on the phone prior to that because, uh, we'll, we'll dive into that too, but you, you've got you know affiliations with Keto Pet Sanctuary, you were a former IFBB pro athlete, um, lots of different ways we can take this conversation, so let's just dive in and see where it takes us. How are you, Victoria? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on. It's it's good to be here. And, uh, you know, since we've met at KetoCon, actually talk on your podcast and excited to kick it off. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so so give, give the audience a little background kind of on what got you into this space. Because when you were competing, you, you weren't keto at that time, right? No, I wasn't actually. Uh, quite the opposite. I uh, My background is a little bit of a sort of mix up from... TV news to professional bodybuilding to uh, research with the ketogenic diets. It's sort of all over the place, but I sort of got my start uh, initially in my career in the TV world, working for NBC affiliates as a news anchor and reporter, um, but was very much involved and interested in the health and fitness space ever since I was a, I was a child. I loved competing and I loved competing in sort of extreme sports from a crazy sport called horse vaulting, which is gymnastics on horseback to Muay Thai kickboxing. And then I found uh, the fitness world and really sort of dived into that while I was sort of a news reporter by day. And then in the evenings, I was training in the gym and uh, my husband and I started our own fitness company on the side and sort of was living like a double life. <laughs> TV news and, you know, the fitness world ended up getting my pro card. And at that point, really made the decision to dive right into the, the fitness world and, and leave TV news, something I had worked on for, for many years and gone through you know, college to, to become. But the fitness and, and nutrition and health space was really sort of calling me that way. So I left and we uh, ran our business full time and uh, ended up starting an online coaching company. And that sort of took off. Uh, we decided at that point we were in Oregon and we could really sort of move anywhere when we went online. And we decided to sell our business and uh, move to Southern California. And that's where we met some dear friends of ours who founded uh, Quest Nutrition, who were also very much interested in the ketogenic space. Um, and I, at the time, was like, that sounds crazy. High fat, low carb, uh, you know, obviously in the bodybuilding world, keto is talked about prior to it becoming sort of mainstream, but it was really like just low carb, not necessarily high fat, at least uh, amongst the majority of bodybuilders. So to hear something like that was completely different than what I did. I was sort of, you know, my carbohydrates were always high, even as I was going into competition, you know, I was upwards of 300 grams. I couldn't imagine not, you know, eating a, a higher carbohydrate diet just because when I went for long periods without food, it was, you know, one of those things where I, I couldn't sort of think straight. So it wasn't until my dog was really diagnosed um, with, well, she had a traumatic brain injury when she was about six months old from a dog bite and then started to develop grandma seizures. And right around the same time, Keto Pet Sanctuary was founded and we decided to give it a go with our uh, the ketogenic diet with our dog. And that really changed her life and has helped her. We've completely controlled her seizures through using ketosis, uh, you know, and she was on all, all kinds of medications before and that's gone. And so at that point, that's when I really made the switch and started to head up ketogenic protocols in, in 
scientific pilot studies and then went on to uh, found Metabolic Health Summit not long after that. So kind of a, a crazy story, but a fun one and, and drastically different from where I started to where I am now. Yeah, it's a, you, you make it hard for me as a podcast host because I'm, I'm listening to everything you're saying. I could literally have a whole standalone podcast with each of those different topics, you know. <laughs> um, we could dive right in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's do. So let's talk about TV news, for, first of all. What, what was your motivation to do that? And how from, from there did you gravitate towards the fitness? Like what was your breakaway point into going more like, like horseback gymnastics? Like how did that come to be? <laughs> um, yeah, so I've always, I think, through and through, it's sort of the foundation of my passion, whether it's been in television or radio, I was on the radio for a while, or, you know, in what I'm doing now with Metabolic Health Summit, it's always been like this passion to educate others and to really take complex information and put it into a context that the masses can really understand. So I think that's kind of what inspired me to want and sort of gravitate towards that career initially because I knew I wanted to, you know, create content, be able to take really important issues in the world, especially around health and nutrition. I did a lot of uh, news stories on, you know, the latest scientific studies to I did actually the way I got involved in the, the bodybuilding world was I did a whole sweeps piece on a professional fitness competitor training for a show and what that took. And that was really sort of the tipping point for me. But I've always had that passion of really wanting to take a lot of the science, take this information that might be difficult for most people to digest and put it into a format that people understand. And TV news was really an avenue that allowed for me to do that. But, you know, the, the health and nutrition world was really pulling me in a, in a different direction to where I said, I think I can do something similar or even greater, maybe on my own uh, by, you know, taking a different path and so that's why it's so so funny. I look back and sometimes I'm like, gosh, my I feel like I've lived like seven lives <laughs> like a cat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when I look back on all of those experiences, though, that's sort of the common theme throughout. Um, even today, I, I just really love taking a lot of that science that's behind the ketogenic diet and really being able to put it into a into context that people can understand and use so we can really push this movement forward. No, absolutely. I think that's that's, you know, key and paramount for sure. Anybody that has value to add in this space with regard to the research and how it's impacted their own life, that's that's where you start gaining momentum with, with the people that need to know it most. Um, what, what about, uh, so from the TV news, you you, you know, said you went into to, to bodybuilding, you kind of, you know, documented somebody's journey through a contest prep, then you gravitated and, and wanted to do that yourself. What was, what you kind of touched on it briefly about your, your following the traditional, you know, carb-based approach. What what was your competitive career like? Like how how long did that span, and, and what were some of the things that you picked up on during that time in your life? Yeah, so my competitive career started right around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, and it was sort of on the side of uh, being a TV news reporter. It was funny because many of the people who watched um, the station that I was on sort of could started writing into the station like she's shrinking. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> um, and you know. For me, it was in terms of like, the, it was sort of a traditional bodybuilding uh, diet, if you will, or at least at the time, you know, I've, I've worked with a variety of, of coaches, coach myself, my husband's, you know, I've, 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 he was incredible in terms of nutrition protocol. So worked with him for some time as well. And uh, it really started though for me in 2008, 2009. And, uh, you know, I sort of hit the ground running as soon as I did my first show. And I started in fitness, which 
um, for those who may be listening uh, who aren't familiar is, you know, essentially you're judged on your physique. You've got the physique round, but you've also got a fitness routine round where you've, you've got certain standard moves, you know, whether it's like one-handed push-ups or split jumps or, or whatnot that you're judged on. And that to me was really attractive because it had that athletic component. I had a gymnastics background. So I really dived right into that. And I didn't look back after that. I mean, there, I, I know you completely understand this as a, as a competitive bodybuilder yourself that there's something so just uh, addicting and inspiring and, and motivating about the journey leading up to the show. For me, that was really, it allowed for me to push myself beyond what I thought was physically possible. But at the same time, you know, I think more than anything, and, and I'm sure you'll agree that it's very mental. It's a very sort of, you're challenging yourself both emotionally as well as physically. It's not just about sort of that end outcome on the stage. That's sort of, for me, was at least a small part of it. And so I, you know, have had a very fast metabolism and, and always, you know, was upwards of 3,500 calories going into a show and, and would sort of have to continuously eat to, to stay uh, in the shape that I needed to be in going into the show because, I, you know, I've, I've been a, a lifetime natural competitor even in the pro league and, uh, you know, was on the smaller side when you take a look at some of the, the, the fitness figure pros today. Uh, so I had to like eat like it was my job because it kind of was at that point. Um, and so it was really life-changing for me when I switched over to the ketogenic diet, more so because of the freedom, both physically as well as, as mentally that it sort of provided. Because f before it was like, I, I was that person you know, with Tupperware, <laughs> traveling mm -hmm. everywhere with my food, constantly thinking about the next meal, only because it was like I was always hungry, even upwards of 35 plus, you know, 100 calories a day. So uh, it was really freeing when I switched over to the diet. Yeah, I think like that, I mean, like since we are both keto, we, we understand that. But that is that alone is such a huge proponent of keto that I feel goes unnoticed amongst people that haven't really adopted that lifestyle. I mean, simply being a slave to food and having to carry around seven Tupperwares for the day is, I mean, that's just, I mean, you're, you're a beast of burden to what you oh eat. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and to be liberated from that, I mean, you're, you're, you're basically unchained and you could live your life again. You don't have to structure your entire day around when your next mealtime is. And I mean, that alone is, is huge. Oh yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like my husband now, like he, he, he's like, we, we, I don't want Tupperware in the house. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it's a completely different lifestyle. And, and, but at the time, I mean, it was really something that, you know, a lot for me allowed for, you know, a lot of friendships, which was huge, a lot of connections. I mean, the whole reason I got into the ketogenic space was because of friends I met through the fitness world, uh, Ron and Shannon Penna, of, of quest. And, and so it really opened a lot of opportunities for me, allowed for me to push myself outside of my comfort zone. And there was so much value that came out of it. Um, but at a certain point, so I, I competed, I got my pro card in 2012 and competed for, um, until about 2015, I had suffered an injury. And at the time I was still planning on going back in, but I mean, as you know, for qualifying for the Olympia, which my last year competing, I got, uh, I was one point, I lost the last show two weeks prior to the Olympia by one point I missed the Olympia. And, uh, and at that point I was like more motivated than ever, but dealing with an injury and you have to do like seven, eight shows to, to accumulate mm -hmm. those points. <laughs> and, 
you know, especially for the, the females in the, in the sport. Um, so it just became, I, I was pretty tired at that point. And once I was able to sort of sit with myself and, you know, I didn't have that momentum of the next show, the next show, the next show, it was like, gosh, I want to do something more, uh, with my knowledge and, and love and passion for education as well as nutrition. And so that, that was sort of a, a really big pivotal moment for me with that injury and, and with seeing the control that my dog with her seizures uh, had with using the ketogenic diet. I knew that there was something so much more to this than just, you know, some, a, a treatment for epilepsy in humans. I mean, and it's, it's been right. crazy. I know you've seen it grow and, and just take over. But at the time when we started, it was like nobody was doing it. We were sort of shooting in the dark. So it's been a fun process. Absolutely, absolutely. And I definitely want to want to talk about uh, you know Keto Pet Sanctuary. I'm trying to figure out your your timeline here. So you said you started a business and and sold that and moved to Arizona. Was that a a business catering towards like the health and fitness space? Yeah. So we had an indoor outdoor uh, boot camp program. So we had an indoor facility and then outdoor program in Oregon, uh, where every four weeks we'd have a new set of people coming through. Um, and we got to a place where we were running camps with almost a hundred people in them, which was amazing. Uh, and it was just an incredibly re rewarding process. Um, but we, you know, at the time, same time had started competing. I was also in the news and it was sort of, you know, we, we weren't bored and we, we really knew that we had to kind of decide which way we were going to go. And we started online coaching before everybody in the mom was doing online coaching. And it was really that that provided us this opportunity of being able to relocate wherever we wanted to. And, you know, Oregon was amazing, but we really wanted to, I think, come back to Southern California. Um, my husband and I had met in San Diego when he was a, a Coast Guard diver. And we moved up to Oregon for my TV news career and lived there for seven years and then said, gosh, we want to come back to Southern California where we, I think it's sort of a hub of you know, nutrition science, uh, health, you know, so we said, let's, let's move back. And we were able to do that by selling our business and just going fully online. And then we were also actually show promoters up in Oregon as well. And we did that from afar for a while. And then, you know, from there, um, my husband got a job in research and development with Quest Nutrition. And uh, shortly thereafter, I came on board at Epigenics Foundation, which is the overarching nonprofit to the organization called Keto Pet, which was just pretty life-changing at that point and just literally shifted sort of a hard right with my uh, professional career after that point. Yeah, so so dive into that. So you're you're in Southern California at this point and you're, you're building Keto Pet Sanctuary. So, so what all is going on this time? You're out of the TV news, you're building Keto Pet Sanctuary. He's with uh, Quest Nutrition and um, you're still doing the show in Oregon. So just total chaos at all times. Like. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we weren't really bored with what was going on. We it, it, uh, sort of walked away from the show in Oregon at that point. We, you know, as we kind of went our separate ways, my husband and I have worked together for many years. And at that point he was going into research and development. I was like, that's amazing. You know, definitely go that route. He's always been interested in the food space, especially when it comes to low carb nutrition, because he was really getting into the ketogenic diet at that point. And then I came on board with Epigenics Foundation as a program director and, you know, not only was involved with Keto Pet uh, Sanctuary at the time, but also heading up all the ketogenic protocols in partnership with a variety of oncologists to start pilot studies. So what happened was, you know, Keto Pet was sort of founded. I came on board after the fact. And at that point, 
you know, Keto Pet, sort of the mission there was to validate the ketogenic diet because uh, sort of a conversation that Ron Penna had had with Dr. Dominic D'Agostino and Dr. Peter Atia about fat metabolism and ketones and their impact on human health, disease, and performance, uh, Ron was sort of like, how do we start validating this right now? You know, clinical trials are so important, but gosh, we really need to dive into this and figure it out. And they're huge dog lovers, Ron and Shannon, um, as are myself and my husband. And so uh, they started Keto Pet to really be able to rescue dogs with cancer that were otherwise going to be euthanized. And it started in Texas because Texas, you know, provided sort of a place of we had like 53 acres out there. We could uh, bring PET CT imaging on site, which is sort of the gold standard for cancer diagnostics uh, in humans. And we could also bring hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatments and a variety of things to where we could run a protocol out there. Um, the, the mission really was to eventually at some point bring it out to California. Um, but for quite a few years, we'd rescue dogs with all kinds of horrific forms of cancer and put them on a ketogenic diet, monitor their blood glucose and ketone levels uh, six plus times a, a week or throughout the week, six plus days a week, and uh, provide them with metabolic conditioning and really a beautiful place uh, while really being able to validate the diet in dogs because at that point, nobody had really done that. Um, and it had only really been used with epilepsy in, in humans. And so cancer was a very new and emerging uh, thing, an area of research. I mean, Dr. Dominic D'Agostino, Dr. Angela Poff were doing some work at USF with that. Dr. Thomas Seafried have really uh, been involved in that, has really been involved in that. And so we took it sort of a step further with dogs and learned a lot and were able to help a lot of dogs extend their lives far beyond their prognosis. Uh, I mean, some of our dogs, one of which had hemangiosarcoma, which is the deadliest form of cancer a dog can get. And she came to us with a prognosis of just weeks. And she was four and a half years old at the time. And she, what we thought was a complete litter of puppies was one puppy and the rest was tumor. She had it surgically removed, came on site to the sanctuary, was PET scanned. And we found that at that point it was metastatic. So she went on a ketogenic diet and by 120 days into our protocol, she was PET negative. There was no evidence of disease. So in learning those kinds of things, we said, how do we start working with people dealing with a cancer diagnosis right away? And uh, that's where we linked up with uh, doctors or physicians, oncologists uh, throughout the states, really. We had an open registry of patients that I would work with dealing with a variety of forms of cancer. We had partnered with a neuro-oncologist at Cedars-Sinai here in Los Angeles who was open to referring patients out to us where we could record um, data, help them along sort of 120 days on the diet. And then we worked with a breast oncologist in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and it was pretty incredible the things we learned from that process, especially with brain cancer patients. There was immediate, you know, almost immediate, uh, you know, within two to three weeks, you would notice improvements in cognitive function with many of these people because ketones are sort of so neuroprotective that it had, even if, even if it didn't maybe impact tumor progression or regression or whatnot, you still saw sort of some of these people suffering from aphasia, alexia, you know, losing their ability to read and write and regaining that within a matter of weeks on the diet. It was something that really the oncologist there said he, he hadn't seen something like that, especially when it comes to just sort of a nutritional protocol. And this was obviously combined with standard of care, uh, but it's now inspired a clinical trial that's going on with glioblastoma patients at the uh, medical institution there, which is really the first step to get this into the conversation immediately upon diagnosis, hopefully one day. Um, so 
yeah, that was sort of the trajectory and, and how that sort of all came to, to be and, you know, in learning that and really connecting with researchers, scientists, physicians, people in the space that are showing more and more interest and kind of feeling like they're working alone throughout the world. It was really important to us to be able to bring all of those people together. And that's sort of where our conference was, was born and, and sort of me being able to live out that, you know, educating people and bridging that education gap between the science and the real world. So that's sort of how that all happened. <laughs> no, it's, it's truly amazing. Have you found that everybody, like the, the doctors, be pretty receptive to the information that you're putting forth, even though it originated from, you know, testing on, on, on dogs and whatnot? Yeah, you know, it's been really, it's a really exciting time because I think there are more and more progressive physicians, dietitians, nurses, people in the space that are really starting to understand, wow, this has, you know, mechanisms and functions far beyond just epilepsy patients. I mean, there's so much more work to be done with epilepsy patients in that, you know, even still in, in certain parts of the country, it's only used and, and typically talked about with uh, childhood epilepsy uh, patients. And, and many adults don't really even know it exists. Now that's becoming more and more of, you know, thanks to keto becoming a mainstream word, it's becoming more and more uh, well known and people are finding out more about it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really exciting and interesting. I mean, you can just look online with a quick search uh, and find so many clinical trials are going on really all over the world right now. I mean, I just had an email from a, uh, actually a gynecologist in Germany who is using the ketogenic diet with uh, cancer patients there. I mean, it's, it's really an exciting time to see how many patients and, and how many physicians are really hopping on board with this and just being sort of open to giving it a try. And definitely more clinical trials are needed, I think, uh, to really you know, allow for doctors to adopt this more and more and for, for them to be able to use it as a, as a part or in conjunction with standard of care. There's a lot more work that needs to be done. But I will say that I've had the great opportunity to work with a lot of doctors who are very open to it. And that's the only reason why I think this is starting to move forward in not just epilepsy, but cancer, Alzheimer's disease, um, you know, depression. I mean, We've got a, a psychiatrist who's coming out to speak at Metabolic Health Summit, who's the who was the first uh, and really only uh, psychiatrist at Harvard Health to use the ketogenic diet as an alternative to medication in treating a variety of uh, diseases and disorders like you know depression, uh, anxiety, things like that that you wouldn't maybe think could be used. Um, you know, a nutrition intervention might be able to be used, but if you think about it, it's like gosh. All of these factors in our lives, our environment, our, you know, what we eat every day, how we sleep, how we stress, make a huge difference. And I think it's, it's such an exciting time to see that people, and not just any people, physicians, the people on the front lines are really starting to have a serious conversation about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. On a, on a macro level, do you think, like, is there any glaring holes into, as to, to what's, you know, holding that, you know, advanced research back? Or do you think the needle's you know, moving forward at a pretty rapid rate? Um, you know, I, I think that momentum is certainly starting to build. Uh, and that's really great and exciting. And more and more physicians are becoming on board and more patients, really. I think that this whole movement in using the ketogenic diet as a metabolic therapy in, in treating human disease is really going to come from the ground up, from the patients, from the people asking about it, researching, being their own health advocates. 
But I also think it's going to come from the physicians and sort of the top down as well. Um, I do think funding is something that is is important to move some of the research forward. But I think the more that we talk about this, the more we educate, the more the right information gets into the right hands, you know, and the more sort of importance there is around having events uh, like, you know, conferences, scientific conferences to bring these people together, uh, the better, because that's really how you start to see change happen. I mean, uh, I think sort of that, that snowball is, is rolling down the hill and gaining speed and it's very exciting, but I do think that, you know, I certainly feel a big responsibility. I know you do a great job in getting information out there about the diet. Um, but I do feel a big responsibility in sort of making sure what we do talk about ketosis and, and how it, you know, sort of its potential in, in both performance as well as disease, both sides of the spectrum. I think it's so important to make sure that that information is accurate, that we're having sort of evidence-based conversations. Um, because my biggest fear is sort of, it's right now being pushed into the mainstream as sort of a weight loss thing. And it's so incredible and so much more than just that. It's applications. Honestly, when I, when I talk to somebody about the ketogenic diet and, and all its applications and all the research going on in all these different places, I mean, if you talk to somebody who doesn't know what you're talking about, it kind of sounds like snake oil. They're like, okay, this one diet works across all of these diseases, disorders, ailments, you know, it can reverse, potentially reverse type two diabetes. You know, it can, there's all these things, right? You just start to sound sort of like you're talking about something that simply isn't true, but it really is. And I think um, it's an exciting time, but we have to do our work in getting the right information to, to the right people. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think as with any any type of diet that plays on people's emotions, you know, the the initial benefit of the weight loss and, and, and the attractiveness of that draws people in. But then, you know, as, as is true with me, I didn't know what I was getting into when I first started the diet. But once I realized how much better I felt and performed and and recognized that that would you know, have a compounding effect on my life, you know, well into my later years, it just made sense to stay on the diet long after the initial weight loss goal was established. Um, so if it can draw people in and then keep them there for the benefits that go far beyond the weight loss, I mean, that is, that's what we're all shooting for, for sure. Um, what about the, the Metabolic Health Summit as a conference? Talk about that and kind of expand upon what the goal is there. Yeah, so Metabolic Health Summit was founded in 2015, but the original conference was called the Conference on Nutritional Ketosis and Metabolic Therapeutics, which is sort of a mouthful. So we uh, decided to rebrand it uh, this year and, and call it something with sort of an overarching umbrella name because there's so many factors that impact metabolic health. I mean, the ketogenic diet, ketosis, fasting, Metabolic therapies are a huge part of it, but um, there's a lot of other things that come into play, whether it's sleeping, breathing, stressing, you know, so we really wanted to have sort of an overarching name. And it's a scientific conference through and through. It really actually started as a partnership between uh, Epigenics Foundation, and, which is our presenting sponsor this year, and uh, the University of South Florida, and specifically Dr. Dominic D'Agostino's lab, Dr. Angela Poff, and we sort of teamed up and put our first conference on in 2016. And it was really, a, you know, there were all of these researchers and physicians, as I mentioned before, all over the place, really doing such great work with low carb nutrition, fasting, you know, ketosis, uh, whether it's, you know, preclinical, clinical, clinical uh, that we felt like we had to bring everybody together so they could communicate and co potentially collaborate. And that's really what it was. The first conference was 
such an inspiring thing to witness because it was really the first of its kind. I mean, there were all these researchers doing work with metabolic therapy involving the ketogenic diet. And it really had uh, had up until that point a huge focus with epilepsy patients. And it was exciting to see that, oh my gosh, this is extending to cancer. This is extending to you know a variety of other ailments that we really hadn't explored before. Um, but you know, Dr. Diagostino's and Dr. Poff's lab had certainly been doing the work for some time at that point. So it really hit the ground running. We did no advertising for it. It was word of mouth and had about 250 attendees that year and said, we have to do this again. At first it was just like, let's have a meeting, but it was a full blown conference. And the second year came around and uh, the last two years it was held in uh, Tampa, Florida. And we doubled in size and there were more science. You know, we had a scientific poster session where we had, you know, abstracts and, and research really from all of the world. Some published, some not presenting, you know, beyond just the presentations, we have this room set up where you had research from everywhere uh, going on with a variety of diseases and, you know, sort of with human optimization focus, uh, longevity studies, things like that. And uh, you you could see that this was really gaining momentum that second year uh, in 2017. And at that point, um, we really decided to sort of take it on as, as our own conference called Metabolic Health Summit. We rebranded re the whole thing. And this year really have made it our mission to bridge the education gap between the science and the rest of society, because what we noticed was, you know, patients were coming to, the, to our conference, you know, asking to come in. And is it okay if they attend to, to listen to these scientific lectures? And athletes were coming to hear, you know, Dr. Jeff Volick speak and Dr. Dominic D'Agostino and uh, Dr. Jacob Wilson and all these people that have done some pretty incredible uh, work with human performance. And so we said, we've really got to um, bridge that gap and make this something that both the physician can come to and get continuing medical education, or maybe even the dietitian who needs continuing education credits to the person that simply wants to learn how to start a ketogenic diet um, and maybe doesn't have a medical background and just wants to learn and have a, a great four-day experience. So we have everything from scientific presentations to cooking demonstrations by big uh, top influencers to a VIP mixer and a, and a gala dinner. Actually, I, I think you might uh, know him. We announced it yesterday, but we really wanted it from start to finish to be an experience for people. You can get the, the intense, you know, on the front lines science, but you can also enjoy a keto-friendly reception or, you know, go to our gala dinner where we've got a brain tumor survivor or thriver, as I like to call him, and pro BMX bike rider, Josh Perry, who's going to be performing inside the ballroom on a 65-foot ramp. So it's like from one extreme <laughs> to the other, we really want to bridge those worlds together and make it something that elevates this community and this movement and also gives back. We're actually um, donating 50% of ticket sales from our dinner to uh, California-based ticket sales to uh, Max Love Project and the Charlie Foundation, which are two really important nonprofits in the space. So it was it, it's just such a passion of ours to, to be able to provide education, the right education from physicians, researchers, thought leaders, and also the people who are you know implementing this in their kitchen as well. So it's going to be a fun time. Jan it's January 31st through February 3rd, if I didn't announce that already. And the, the tickets are, are live uh, in, until then? Yes. Um, well, in, until they, they sell out. Our VIP mixer is, is sold out. So we do anticipate um, the rest of the tickets will be going fairly quickly. 
our room block at the Renaissance Long Beach, which is where we're hosting the, the event, is nearly full. So if you don't have tickets, definitely go to our website, which is metabolichealthsummit.com and snag them before before they go because we do anticipate uh, selling out this year. We also have sort of a keto expo where you can, um, beyond just keto foods, technologies, and uh, a variety of other uh, businesses who are going to be there sort of showcasing their products that maybe provide alternatives to high carby foods that you might have used to love to, you know, the latest application um, that will help you in, in really sticking to the diet. So, uh, so yeah, we do anticipate tickets will go fairly quickly here through the rest of the year. I will definitely be getting tickets for myself and, and Crystal because I don't know, like I've been to several of the conferences now and for anybody that has not been, it's definitely something that, that worth, well, time well spent for sure. Cause when you're in a room, with so many like-minded people just on the cutting edge research and there's just so much energy and zeal for life and like helping and improving others' well-being. I mean, it's hard to beat that. Like so much energy jam-packed into one room for, you know, a few days. It's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it, it really is. And that, I think that's really well put. Like it, there's something so inspiring. You leave these kinds of events feeling like it's just an exciting time to see how food, nutrition, metabolism is really starting to become a really big part of the conversation when it comes to human health, disease, and, and performance, because uh, it's it's such an important, I think, missing piece to sort of our you know country's health as a whole that I feel just so passionate about moving this this forward and creating an event like this because. Uh, it's through collaborations, it's through, you know, friendships, it's through sharing the science that we can actually move it forward in a serious way where hopefully one day it's offered to the cancer patient where, you know, before maybe they were just told, okay, it's surgery, chemotherapy, radiation, but may, may, maybe now you have this option where, and here's this nutrition protocol that may actually help improve, you know, your prognosis in combination with, you know, the standard of care or maybe by itself, but you have this choice um, to be able to, to use this nutrition intervention. That really is my dream of where I wanna see this go, especially when it comes to brain cancer patients, because I really feel like there can be such an impact. And I've seen it firsthand, just, you know, I think that, I mean, that's why I follow the diet is because the improvement in cognitive function, especially when I don't eat food, which was completely the opposite for me back in my professional fitness days, you know, I think that's really one of the most powerful effects um, that I've seen. And it sort of has, I think, the same mechanism that, you know, works with epilepsy patients. You can really see some of that shine through with brain tumor patients who might be going through and dealing with some of the same symptoms. So it, it's an exciting time for sure. This would be an impossible question to answer with any degree of certainty. But <laughs> what, what do you think from like a timeline perspective, how far out are we from that being introduced and in, in more of a norm as opposed to just this crazy outlier that people have only talked about in in strange places, you know, like when, <laughs> when is keto going to be more mainstream in the medical sector? That is a really great question. I wish I had a definite answer for that and I could see the future. Um, I will say that when I first started, you know, a few years ago, it was sort of, no one was doing it. There was no such thing. I was actually one of those hyper responders, you know, the, the ones with the cholesterol off the charts. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, and, and sort of shooting in the dark and not really sure if my heart was going to explode or if this was going to be, you know, the answer to all of my, you know, inflammation from injuries and all of that. But I continued it and now my cholesterol is amazing. And I, I just, I could never see myself going back to what I used to do. 
Um, but it's really been cool to see, you know, it start to hit the mainstream. It was sort of a slow trickle over the last couple of years. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, it, the cele celebrities are doing it. And it's, it's uh, I think, becoming more and more of a mainstream thing. And I think that in turn is going to help, you know, it sort of infiltrate uh, the medical system as well. I think, I don't know, gosh, maybe I would hope in the next five years or so that it starts to sort of become something that many physicians start to, you know, just offer as a, as a potential option, um, especially when it comes to something like type 2 diabetes. Uh, there's an incredible online medical clinic called Verta Health that's doing some amazing work and they have sort of a goal to impact millions of people um, over the next uh, 10, you know, 20 years. And they're already reversing type 2 diabetes in hundreds of people. I mean, they, they just published not long ago a, a clinical trial involving type 2 diabetics and had some incredible uh, numbers in terms of how many of the, those patients, I think it was about 60%, don't quote me on that, but definitely search their research online, but uh, were able to um, significantly lower their HA1C, which is the average blood glucose over the course of two to three months, and even get off insulin. So, I mean, to me, it's sort of like a no-brainer that, you know, it's been used, sort of low-carb's been used, but taking it a step further to getting people into ketosis, I think it can be pretty life-changing, especially when it comes to things like metabolic syndrome and type 2 diabetes and, and uh, ailments along those lines. So I think that we're going to see a lot sooner, and we already are, um, but with something like cancer, I think it's going to take, uh, you know, hopefully five years or so, if not sooner than that. I mean, that could be ambitious. That could be, um, you know, some people might say that's too slow. It takes some time to really start to get results from clinical trials uh, and, and get some of the research needed to make it so that it's a part of standard of care. That takes that takes some time. It is it is kind of mind boggling to, to look at, you know, the progression of keto and how it's become, you know, used and and more mainstream just in the short window that we've experienced lately. I mean, it's been used since the 20s, you know, for the epilepsy, epileptic children, but to see it blossom to what it has over the course of the past two years, really. I mean, all these conferences, um, all these, you know, events, all these influencers, all these books, all this literature, all these podcasts, like all of that's pretty much blown up within the past 24 months, really. I mean, I and, and to see that progression is, is just, it, it blows my mind. It, it, it gets me excited because there's so much energy and there's so much, uh, you know, thought process and just really, really bright, educated people all flocking towards this one movement at the same time together. And that, that right there is powerful. I 100% agree. I mean, it's, I think something, you know, some people say, oh, that fad keto like, well, first of all, it's been around for nearly 100 years. <laughs> Second of all, mm -hmm. I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, but, you know, I, I think that this is here to stay. It's far, far more than just, you know, a fat loss diet. I mean, you know, you've certainly used it with yourself and, and beyond with clients, which I think is really incredible and, and awesome that you're really implementing it and using it in the bodybuilding space, because I think it's important even in that community to really get the message across about truly what the ketogenic diet is and how to implement it when it comes to athletes, specifically those that are interested in, you know, muscle hypertrophy and getting as lean as possible. Um, I think mm -hmm. that's an important part of the, of the equation because, uh, you know, every community within this space 
And I think to your point of like how the professional is interested in this, but also the everyday person, that is why I think it's sort of so special. And I, I could see it, you know, maybe even happening sooner than, than the next five years. I just see every day I, there's new keto products popping up every day. You know, it's another celebrity has hopped on the diet and the bandwagon. So um, I think maybe we, we might see this momentum speed up faster faster than five years. I mean, this could happen um, sooner than later. It's just the research itself. So the clinical trials, things like that, that takes a little bit more time uh, to execute and to get the results from. But I think we're going to see a big movement from the ground up with the people who are actually implementing now into their daily lives. I completely agree. Completely agree. You're kind of on the on the cutting edge with all this research. I mean, you're right there on the front line learning with, with you know, the best of them. Um, what, what is something that that you felt very, uh, you know, positive about since since you've transitioned to keto. I'm sure a lot of things have shifted since you were eating carbohydrate based approach. But what has shifted since you've become keto that you believe very strongly then, but have have made a 180 degree shift on now? With my personal experience with the diet. Yeah, with your personal experience and just kind of your, uh, you know, with the research background and just the self experimentation that you've done. Uh, with yourself and and others that you know of, like what what's one take on keto that you've that you've shifted from? Yeah, that is a great question. Well, um, to start, it was just so foreign to me, just because I was such a, a carb queen, um, as as I've been called in the past, uh, and <laughs> to think about dropping them to just e you know eating mostly vegetables and uh, you know a moderate amount of protein. I can remember when my protein was astronomically high um, and you know high fat was just super foreign to me so when I was initially starting the diet especially because um, heart disease is something that many of my family members had suffered from that that for me was like a big fear because just like everybody else you know we've all been ingrained for many years up until this point that fat is bad fat leads directly to you know <laughs> just like a drain might clog fat will immediately clog your arteries and you know I was maybe skeptical of that view, but it's hard to not have that sub subconscious fear sort of there as you're eating far more butter than you used to be. And, you know, it's hard to kind of shift that mindset. For So for me, it was like a big uh, mental perspective that had to kind of change. And I've noticed in working with hundreds of patients at this point that like that that's a big thing for a lot of people, even though they're like, oh my gosh, it sounds like an amazing diet. And I'm really enjoying all this great food. There's a mental shift that has to happen. Uh, I think with eating higher fat and not being fearful that, you know, it might cause some issues. And so when I started, I, I did it sort of with the same rigor as a bodybuilder might, you know, be expected to do it. I tested all of my blood work before starting and I said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. And I was on a very specific plan that I built out for myself and I was going to test my blood every 60 days. And I started out at about like a two to one ratio or at about 80 plus percent calories coming from fat and monitored everything mm -hmm. and uh, found that slow, slowly uh, my Tupperware stash became lower and lower, which was great. Um, but I uh, monitored my blood and my cholesterol levels were off the charts and not just like, you know, the light fluffy stuff, but for whatever reason, my vascular inflammation was significantly high and my small particles were high. And, you know, I had all of these sort of markers where it was a little bit concerning to start. Um, I went through a carotid IMT, you know, coronary calcium screening, 
a variety of tests to make sure that everything was okay, just because I've had, like I said, many members um, suffer from heart disease. You know, I, I had a family member recently just go through an emergency triple bypass. So it was something that was very real to me. And at the time, there was no information on people getting an NMR lipo profile test and being a hyper responder. That wasn't even a thing. I don't even think there was a term for that at the time. So I literally was like, okay, well, I have two choices. I can either not do the diet anymore and literally guess for the rest of my life if that nutrition approach that I loved and felt great on would have actually worked for me in the long term, you know, and, and just stop, or I could continue and take the potential risk and, and maybe find something that might be a better answer to not just me, but my family members and the rest of the population, like maybe my experience might help somebody else. And so I stuck it through, even though I had a variety of uh, uh, physicians telling me, you should really think about statins. Uh, you probably have familial hypercholesterolemia, which I actually got the genetic test for and didn't end up having it. And I literally changed my fat sources. So I, I had a ketogenic diet that was really high in monos and saturated fat was under about 20 grams a day. And I had, then I shifted where those saturated fats came from. So mostly a plant-based, you know, saturated, not plant-based diet, but most of my saturated fats came from, you know, coconut, MCT, things like that. Um, so I really shifted every 60 days and noticed that, yeah, I mean, some of those markers when I had a high, higher mono and saturated diet improved, but uh, not significantly. And my HDL dropped. And, you know, there's all these other factors uh, that were interesting. I think you really have to look at your blood markers as sort of a whole. So I just decided to stop testing one day and just follow the diet because I enjoyed it. I felt better. And I felt it was very freeing from constantly being hungry. And instead of my brain not working when I didn't eat, it would actually work better, which was huge for me, especially doing things like, you know, on television or radio or, you know, forward facing public speaking for keto pet or whatever. So, um, I stuck with it. And then about a year or so later, I went to a primary care doctor and she's like, okay, we're going to do a total cholesterol test. I'm like, just don't, because it's going to come back. It's going to be high. You're going to tell me to get on <laughs> a statin, go to a cardiologist. I know the whole drill. And it actually came back and it was the best it's ever been. And so, you know, I think for me, I really, well, one, my background of eating the way I did. And so rigorously and specifically, and, you know, with high carbs and all of those factors, I mean, that, you know, impacts insulin and hormones and all of those things. And I just think that it took my body a while to find homeostasis that and just, you know, lean mass and a variety of other factors can come into play, at least, but in theory, in, in my mind. Um, and so for me, it was really, you know, this whole experience has showed me that you really have got to trust your, your gut, you know, and that food does make a massive difference um, in your overall happiness, health, uh, how you're able to deal with stressful situations in your life, um, your blood markers. And, you know, it, it significantly impacted my perspective on, you know, I have always had a passion for health and nutrition, but it took it to a whole nother level when I saw, you know, it took me a little bit to stick it out, but I saw how significantly it could improve my blood markers, specifically those that are related to my risk for heart attack, stroke, things along those lines that, you know, those things that have significantly impacted my family's life. And that for me was probably one of the most powerful things because, you know, if I hadn't made that switch, what would that look like for me 10 years down the line? Heck, maybe even my early 40s. I've had uh, family members diagnosed with heart disease very early on. 
And so that, that scares me a little bit and makes me thankful that I, I was able to find this nutrition approach and make that shift and stick it out. Even when I thought maybe my heart might explode tomorrow, <laughs> I stuck it out and I'm glad I did. So, so that year that where you basically went without any blood testing, that was not putting an emphasis on monounsaturated fats, oversaturated fats. That was just pretty much just eating your standard keto diet, not really focusing on the type of fats, but keeping your fat ratio high and then testing afterwards, everything seemed to normalize. Right. Yeah. So that was really um, at that point. I mean, who doesn't like, you know, saturated fats? I mean, I was loving, you know, butter and all of those delicious cheese, you know, all of those things. Like, so for me, it was like, it was actually, I felt a little bit like I was doing a competition prep diet when I had my high mono inside. Not that I don't like avocados and olive oil, I do, but not having some of those things that you really enjoy on the diet was really, uh, was really challenging for me. So when I, when I said, you know what, I'm going to stop blood testing, I'm going to eat how I, I, I want to eat. For me, that is sitting at a higher ratio of saturated to monounsaturated fats. So I was you know, I was having butter or MCT in my, in my coffee in the morning. I was having, um, you know, I was cooking with, with butter again. I was, you know, uh, dairy was a part of my, my diet. And I think I wasn't as rigorously sort of testing at that point in terms of like laying out my nutrition protocol and all that, as I had done, you know, prior to that. But, uh, I was certainly sitting at a higher saturated fat, uh, diet. And I think it just, took my body a while to calm down on the cholesterol synthesis and absorption for whatever reason, for me, a uh, higher fat diet caused this big shift um, where, you know, we, we tested down to like the sterols and, and all of those things that really kind of uh, impact the synthesis absorption of, of cholesterol and for whatever reason at the time, saturated fat was causing my body to kind of go a little haywire. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to work with Dr. Peter Atia through that and that with that blood testing. And, uh, you know, he's one of the, he's the smartest guys I know when it comes to lipidology and, and it was sort of an unmarked territory at that point. So, um, so yeah, I just decided, you know what, I've done all this blood testing and not to mention pricking my finger every single day, just because, you know, it was interesting to learn about what your ketones and blood glucose levels were doing that I was just at a place where I was like, I just don't want to, I just want to stop and just eat how I want to eat for once. And I did, and things are are better than ever. So I'm glad I did. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. I I think there's I mean one of my theories is that it, you know when you're keto adapted, there's such a difference between being keto adapted versus being in ketosis. A lot of people you know, they jump on the diet for one month, lose that initial water weight, feel great, register ketones, and call it good. Right. But that is so far from what is optimal. And if they allow their body to truly become adapted which doesn't take, you know, it, it takes longer than, than a week or a month or six months or even a year. I mean, it said it took you a year and a half before your numbers started to normalize, but making that the lifestyle actually jumping in and not looking back. I mean, that's, that's when the real magic happens. Oh, I a hundred percent agree. I think that's one of the biggest sort of misconceptions and part of the sort of responsibility I feel to, to make education around the ketogenic diet sort of known that you, this really isn't just like go on it for two weeks, crash diet, lose a bunch of weight, call it good. Yeah. You might've lost seven pounds, but most of that's going to be water weight. And you know, it's not going to make a difference once you start eating carbohydrates again, but you know, you have to give your body a second. Cause you can imagine like how long you've been a primary glucose burner, if you will, um, for the majority of your life, like many people on this planet, 
if you're trying to shift your metabolic state and utilize ketones as the primary source, it's going to take your body a second to understand and to use them efficiently. And for me, it was like just where my performance in the gym was uh, normal or I was able to really push myself again was like seven, eight weeks in. So sometimes when I hear people like, oh, yeah, I, I tried keto for like two weeks. and It wasn't for me. It's like, well, I tried keto for two weeks as well. And it wasn't for me during those two weeks. But after that is where the magic happens. So I agree. What is your take on, you know, like sprinkling in, you know, carb meals intermittently just throughout your keto journey? Like Thanksgiving, for instance, was uh, this past week, you know, are you in, of the camp that it's okay to have a, you know, bolus of carbs uh, in that acute instance? Or, or what's your take on that? That is a great question. So I, as I know that you do as well, <laughs> come from a very strict background of, you know, the fitness world and training for a show and you're very regimented and, and how, and I lived that way for many years. And especially when I competed as a pro and my sponsorships depended on it at the time. Uh, and I think for me, I've, my, my sort of perspective has kind of shifted a lot just in terms of, you know, especially in working with cancer patients and, and what is actually realistic about fitting things into people's lives. I think it's important to kind of take both perspectives into the equation. And I think if you're using it as a metabolic therapy for disease, that's one thing. I mean, if you're using it for epilepsy and you go off the diet, you're going to have a seizure and that's probably not something that you want to experience. So it's far more important to make sure you're, you're staying in ketosis. Um, same goes for somebody like cancer. I mean, in my personal opinion and, and experience, uh, if and if I were to suffer from a diagnosis like that, I would I would you know want to stay in ketosis. Now that said, I do think that there can be, just in my experience and and sort of experimenting with the diet and a variety of of applications, I think that you can. Um, I can even implement a certain amount of carbohydrates, you know, before or after my workout and still maintain ketosis because I am keto adapted and I can experience some benefits of training that way in the gym. Um, now, when it comes to cycling in and out of ketosis, like having cheat meals on the weekends and things like that, I'm, I'm definitely not a fan of, you know, oh, I'm in ketosis like during the week and then I go and like completely splurge and binge on the weekend. I, I think that number one, you're really metabolically confusing your body and not giving it really an opportunity to get into a good rhythm with ketosis. And then all of a sudden you're just introducing all of these carbohydrates, massive insulin, just something that your body probably can't, can't handle, um, not to mention utilize. Uh, you know, there's definitely been some work and research done on what happens when you cycle on and off like that, you know, especially on a weekly or biweekly basis. So, you know, in my opinion, having carbohydrates on Thanksgiving. I mean, I, I did. And I think that that's okay. I don't think that, I think personally as, as humans, I wasn't there at the time when we evolved, but I believe that we were all born with this ability uh, to shift our metabolic state from time to time, not necessarily every week, but we're as babies we're born into ketosis. And from there, you know, we would go for long periods without food and maybe ketosis was sparked through long periods of fasting. And other times, maybe it was what we ate. Maybe we found a big stash of berries and kicked ourselves out, you know? So I think that from time to time, it's natural to shift that metabolic state. And it may also provide metabolic flexibility. It may be a positive thing to keep your body 
for hormone function and a variety of other factors to keep your body sort of in that place where it can efficiently switch um, from one sort of metabolic state to another. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, this this is it always fascinates me because like I, I haven't switched out of ketosis for, for quite some time. I don't honestly even know how my body would respond, but I'm curious to see there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of uh, you know, scientific research based off of individuals who have maintained a state of ketosis indefinitely for, you know, extended extended amounts of time. So I'm curious to see if what one's metabolic ability is after being strictly keto adapted for years on end, mm-hmm. if that varies at all from somebody that has more of a, a cyclical approach, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any, any research that would indicate one way or the other. Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely think more long-term studies are needed, especially on this kind of topic, because I think it's so interesting. And, and sometimes, you know, when I have gone off the diet, I'm like, I don't ever want to do that again because I feel, and it's not like I go overboard, but you just feel different the next day. My brain function is what I notice the most. So then I'm like, gosh, I just want to stay in it all the time. But if there's like, you know, a holiday or it makes sense or somebody's, you know, I I don't know what, what the social setting might be, but, um, I, I do feel okay from time to time in going off the diet, but I will say 90% of the time I'm in it because I feel better and because it's, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I don't, for me, I, you know, I've been on a variety of nutrition approaches and I've, I've never felt the way I do on a ketogenic diet. And I think that once you experience that, I'm sure just like yourself, once you experience what ketosis feels like, it's really hard to go back and it's really hard not to tell everybody about it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, so I can go, I can go, you know, many which ways on that. And, and there's certainly more work that needs to be done, even down to like the gut microbiome level. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like for diversity and, and all of those things? So it's a, it's such an interesting topic. And that's, that's why I'm co-hosting a scientific conference so we can continue learning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm going to, if, if you will allow it, I'm going to have to have you back on the show after this conference, because I'm sure you and I will both learn, <laughs> learn a lot at the conference and have more questions uh, to debate. So Let's definitely plan on that. Um, Absolutely. I'll be at the conference for sure, though. I haven't been to to the Metabolic Health Summit one yet, but I've heard nothing but good things, and I want to support it any way I can. Awesome. Well, we're, we're very excited to have you both there, and it was great to see you at KetoCon, and thank you for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to come back and just continue this conversation and keep learning. Absolutely. I am as well. Um, well, Victoria, where can people go to find out more about you? That is a great question. So um, I am on Facebook and Instagram, Victoria underscore field underscore. And I post a lot of sort of day to day there, but mostly I live on the Metabolic Health Summit Facebook page, which is just Metabolic Health Summit and uh, Instagram, which is just Metabolic Health Summit there as well. And we actually provide a variety of educational content throughout the year. It's not just you know, that one weekend, our, our passion is really sharing information. So whether it's interviews with top scientists, um, you know, to sort of humanizing brands and telling stories behind some of the brands that are making keto easier for people, uh, we provide a lot of information on those two sites. And then, of course, our, our website, which is metabolichealthsummit.com. Oh, and Keto Pet. So if you want to learn about your uh, ketosis for canines, I, uh, along with uh, some colleagues of mine, put together a uh, book on the ketogenic diet for canines. That is an ebook that you can actually get for free on the Keto Pet website, ketopetsanctuary.com or ketopet.org. And that's a really great place for a lot of scientific journal articles where you can find more information about the diet and also learn more about the research um, 
that we've done with dogs. Oh, I meant speaking of that, I meant to mention that that y'all have a macro uh, calculator on Keto Pet Sanctuary um, that that pretty much shows up most of the ones that are for humans on these other websites. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're we're the only one for for dogs. Um, so if you go there and you want to start a ketogenic diet with your dog, it'll actually let you pick different food sources. Um, you know, a different levels of a ketogenic diet levels being like, are you using this for lifestyle? Are you using this for cancer? And it kind of helps you calculate those, those macros and either choose from uh, just a grocery store option where you can go and purchase food from the store or um, a pre-made ketogenic dog food um, called Valiant Pet Nutrition. So you have a couple of options, whichever way you want to go, which is pretty cool because Nine times out of 10, everything that you find on the internet is for people, which is important, but it's also important to really understand and, and help our animals who really can't feed themselves, you know, especially our dogs. Yeah, I totally agree. We're kind of going off on a tangent now, but this, <laughs> this is actually where we, we communicated the first time because Crystal had called you, I believe, because she had a question about uh, her, little, her little dog, Jack, and we got him on a, the keto diet that, that you recommended. You'd be proud of us. He's currently eating a diet of we, we fix him a bowl of, um, I think it's got a raw egg in there, a stick of pemmican, which is just beef and beef tallow. That's awesome. <laughs> and then we put some liver in there and some some raw venison. All of it's raw, all of it's fresh. But uh, yeah, he's he's never felt or looked better than he, than he does now. So it's definitely working. That's awesome. I am so happy that you guys are doing that. It's It's a big step because, you know, unfortunately, so much of what is on store shelves at dog food stores are, you know, unfortunately, 60 to 80 plus percent carbohydrate. And if you think about how dogs mm -hmm. might naturally eat in the wild or, you know, just what species appropriate, it's certainly not, you know, a, a cooked potato. Um, <laughs> you know, dogs yeah. eat a lot differently than that. And it really can make a big difference for them, I think, uh, metabolically. So that's awesome. You guys have transitioned and you pointed out raw and I'm a big fan of raw. And I know some people are afraid of that. And while there certainly is, you know, we have to be careful as humans with raw food because, um, you know, there certainly is a threat there. But as long as you provide quality meat, dogs actually process raw meat differently than we would. Um, you know, that if you think about how they ate in the wild way back when, they certainly weren't sitting around a campfire cooking a potato or corn and, you know, they ate their food raw. So there's a lot of benefit to that. And as long as you purchase quality raw raw meats that's great and not to mention that we feel that there may be some uh relationship between cooking fats um for dogs specifically fats under high heat can obviously damage certain sources of fats and feeding that to the, to a dog may increase chances of pancreatitis so you really have to be cognizant of that as well yeah and if you think about it i mean just from like a cost and, and convenience standpoint like we just, we, we buy, you know, liver is incredibly cheap. Regs are, eggs are inc incredibly cheap. So we'll just throw a couple pieces of, you know, raw liver and, and some eggs in there. And it, it doesn't take any time. It doesn't cost any money. And that's better than anything you'll be able to find on a store shelf. So it's oh, a win-win for everybody. I know. It's it's great. And, you know, you focus so much on what you're putting in your body. You've really got to also think about, you know, your best friend too and you, how long you want them around because unfortunately – cancer, diabetes, all of these ailments that are impacting us as people are also now impacting our dogs. And, you know, in my opinion, food certainly has something to do with it. I totally agree. Totally agree. Well, we will definitely, definitely have to do another podcast because there's, again, like a hundred more questions I have in my head for you, but uh, <laughs> that's awesome. We'll, we'll I'd have love to follow to. up for sure. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Victoria, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I look forward to, to seeing you at the Metabolic Health Summit. And until then, 
uh, take it easy and let me know if there's ever anything I can do for you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me on and keep doing what you're doing to spread the, the good word. Certainly. Thank you.